How do you grow your school in this fast-changing landscape? This is what we talk about on School Growth Mastery. School marketing, fundraising, leadership, and much more. Alex, Al, and Andrew from Enroll Hand bring on a diverse list of guests and give you practical takeaways. If you feel like sharing or rating us, you'll help us grow as well. So today I have an inspiring story for you. To tell it, I have with me Sony Vansilas, the principal of North Arvada Middle School. Sony has a husband and two children, 23-year-old who is a successful retail manager and graphic designer, and an 18-year-old who is a professional athlete. I was amazed when I read in the news that the grant proposal written by one of Sony's 12-year-old students resulted in a $180,000 grant for the school. I had to invite Sony on to dig deeper. We write grants for schools, and I know it's not that easy, so I was fascinated. Sony, would you describe a bit how did the chain of events that led to Andrew, your student, winning the grant? How did that come about? Sure. So um, one of the focuses we have in our building is um, project-based learning. And so a one of our teachers was working on an open-ended opportunity for students to select their own projects. And so Andrew got together with some friends and noticed that we really had very little um, things for kids to do during recess. Our students get a 15-minute recess, and there was very little for them to do. We had a pretty empty um, gravel pit, some basketball courts, um, a large football field that was a long way away, and really nothing in between. Um, and so he really felt like he wanted to figure out a way to get some kind of outdoor activity, outdoor athletic um, space. So, you know, middle schoolers, when you talk about playgrounds, you know, middle schoolers don't want playgrounds, but they want spaces to hang out and to um, be with one another. And so he started to interview some students here in the building. And that's how we got started. Kind of my first question, and using that, I want to then dig into a bit, uh, you know, talking about the school in general, allow you to describe what's going on and the school and the school profile. But like uh, my leading question is, how come his science teacher, I believe it was Erin Fishtel, allowed such a project? Most teachers I know, and I, I don't want to be too harsh, but would at least be very concerned or critical that this is too large a project for a young 12-year-old. Yes, I'm fortunate um, that we have been engaged in this building for about the last four to five years, um, moving toward a belief um, that we need to empower students to own their own learning, uh, to have a voice in their learning, um, to be designers of their own space and really thinking of themselves as designers. We've spent a lot of time engaging as staff, learning about the design thinking process, learning about how we can create a more empathic teaching and learning environment, uh, which allows us to place the, uh, the onus or the weight of the thinking that happens in our classrooms more in the hands of students instead of you know, where it typically lies is in the hands of teachers. And we've been going through this progression, um, as I said, for about four years now, really trying to figure out how do we personalize the learning for our students? How do we hear their voice and allow their passion um, to 
to move them forward and to truly engage them in authentic learning tasks. Um, and of course, those authentic learning tasks are the things that are going to stick with kids. Um, and they, it is those projects that are going to help our students develop skills such as self-direction and personal responsibility, communication, critical thinking, collaboration. Um, it's those skills that are going to allow our learners to progress in their lives in general. So we've set a culture here that allows teachers to take risks. And I think that's why Aaron was willing um, to do that and connecting that to project-based learning as well, right? So it gives students the ownership to feel like they can make a difference, not only in their community, but in their world. And what was the trigger for five years ago that allowed you to shift onto that belief, to shift your mindset? Because usually, you know, first efforts towards personalized or project-based learning are a failure. It's normal. I mean, when the culture is not there, first little projects or efforts are hard, they don't really work. And then, you know, only with a lot of work and gradually you get onto a, uh, onto a smoother path. What was that trigger initially that gave you the, the power to, to go onto this journey that led a student uh, to, to raise $180,000 for the school? So I think as leaders, we have to decide um, what really are our core values and what do we believe that learners in our buildings need um, to be ultimately successful in their in their lives. And I happen to be a, a benefactor of attending something called School Retool. And what School Retool really was is um, getting an education for myself um, about deeper learning and what the competencies are around deeper learning and really embracing the idea of failing forward, having a bias to action and starting small. So that's what we did. We just started small and year by year we added a few additional components um, and so I would encourage anyone that is out there listening to Google Deeper Learning or Google School Retool um, and check out the resources that they have for leaders. And I'll link to School Retool in the show notes. Uh, so Andrew Ellis had the audacity to envision a better place for recess. So you allowed and her, his teachers allowed that that uh, presumption to and kind of that that empowerment to be there. Uh, so he, he decided that was his project and he started, you said, interviewing people at the school. Elaborate a bit on that. So what, let's go like through the process that step by step. So what, what did he do actually then? So initially he had, uh, I think three other students were working with him um, and they discovered that they didn't have very many classes in common or planning time in common. Um, and frankly, the other children weren't quite as persistent as Andrew, um, or, or they just simply didn't persevere. They didn't have the stick-to-itiveness that Andrew seemed to have. Um, so then in this elective class, um, it started out in science, and then it moved into his elective class. Same teacher, that was lucky. Um, so then he, he glommed onto a couple of other friends and said, hey, you know, let's figure out what our, what our classmates want to have 
to do out at recess. And so they did some surveys. They did some um, Google surveys. We happened to be a one-to-one device school. And so they could create it. They created Google um, forms, which they used to survey students um, through their homeroom. We call it pride homeroom or an advisory class. And so students took these surveys about the kinds of things that they wanted to see out uh, in the recess area. And it wasn't too long before uh, those students kind of abandoned Andrew as well. <laughs> so Andrew was left to him, his own devices yet again. Um, but what he heard from students is that we have a big population here who loves the whole Ninja Warrior um, or parkour. I don't know if any of the, your listeners have uh, people who are interested in those things, um, but there's a pretty good amount here. And so he really wanted to have this obstacle course where students can um, could compete with each other. Um, and then the students wanted that he surveyed, they wanted swings. Um, you know, how cool is that for middle school kids to want swings? Uh, and what we know about just that act of swinging, it's a very sensory thing, right? And so what a wonderful opportunity for overall wellness um, for young people as well. So that's what the students wanted. They wanted an obstacle course and then they wanted swings. And then Andrew, who believe it or not, is kind of a quiet guy. I would never have anticipated this, him to, to, to actually engage in this project in the way that he did. So it's been a wonderful growth opportunity for him. Um, but he thought about the fact that, you know, not everyone is athletic and not everyone is going to want to compete on an obstacle course. So can we just have a place for them to hang out with some shade, maybe some stuff to climb on? So that's where we got to this amazing space that is not only an obstacle course, but has some swings and also has a place for people to hang out on. Got it. And I understand that following these um, interviews, so I assume there's not like thousands of interviews, just like if you think of the number of students and the reply rate, it's how many, like tens or hundreds form completion? About a hundred replies that he got. So he had to obviously analyze that data. and he had to really learn about formal writing and, of course, how to communicate with adults, mm-hmm. um, not to mention exercising perseverance and persistence to accomplish this grant. Um, the other piece that was required in, in this grant, Andrew, is, as is the case in many grants, is what's the community component? And so Andrew um, had to think about what does that look like and what's the community access and how do I get support from my community in order to actually be awarded this grant? Um, So about a year ago, I think this is our second year, we um, have installed a community garden also out in that space that's adjacent to the recreation center that uh, Andrew's grant has built. Uh, And so it's really becoming this lovely hub um, for our community to access um, outside of school hours, of course. So families who come to work in the community garden, bring their children, their children can now play on the equipment that we have. Um, and we plan to extend that space to having an outdoor learning space as well. Um, I'm sure that your listeners are also trying to find ways to really connect with their community and be the hub in their community, that partnership between schools and 
families and businesses in our communities is so crucial, I think, to the success and the well-being of, of whatever community that we're in. That's amazing. And I, like from our experience with grants, both the kind of evaluation criteria, we would call it interviewing or, or polling people before and then after. I'm going to ask you if you did any, any polling after, if you plan to. Uh, and then the community aspect is really important. Let's first dig into the community piece a bit. I understand that that Andrew did some focus groups with people in the community prior to writing the, writing the grant. Is that correct? I read that. In the yes, book. that is correct. Um, we have a uh, parent-teacher association here, and we also had um, a church that was renting our facility. So he met with some of those folks to talk to them about how they might utilize that space um, to support their congregation. Even So he met with those folks, he met with people in the community, I'm guessing, you know, the, the results or the, the kind of the feedback from those discussions found its way into the grant proposal. It was that's very important and kind of really improves chances of success for these types of grants. If you can demonstrate community engagement, if you can demonstrate some community involvement or potential future community involvement like you actually did, that really uh, makes uh, foundations and funders really excited. I don't know what your view on that is. Indeed. You know, Andrew actually solicited folks to write letters supporting his endeavor. Pretty remarkable for Pretty a 12-year-old. Remarkable, yeah. Uh, I, letters of support is also something we highly recommend. It's huge. It's hugely appreciated by the funders. Uh, so I, Andrew actually went out and, and kind of got those those supporting letters. That's amazing. Uh, another question I have is you said you you polled the students before Andrew did. Andrew Andrew did the Google mm -hmm. forms before. How is that framed? I mean, that's that's some sort of like evaluation, right? In in terms of the grant, there's there's an evaluation. You mentioned wellness, uh, so there's an outcome expected from the investment, if I'm not mistaken. That's that's correct. This particular grant, uh, the Great Outdoors Colorado grant, one of the requirements is the involvement of the student population. Um, and I really think that Andrew's work in reaching out to the student body um, it is part of what, ha what led to the success uh, of the grant. Um, the student body responded with overwhelming interest for an outdoor fitness area. Um, again, like I said, with the major support being behind an obstacle course. Um, uh, I'm just actually looking at the, he, he put it into a pie chart. Um, so uh, yes, applying his uh, both science and mathematical skills there. And then he actually pulled in a small, small focus groups of students as well um, to talk to not just community members, but he spoke to students as well. So since the, the obstacle course has been installed, um, I will tell you that, that kids are thrilled uh, to have it. And they're trying to figure out now the next the next step is to try to figure out how do we actually get the student body to use it as an obstacle course um, because kids are just playing on each individual obstacle. And so the next charge for our students will be, well, how are you going to do that? What ideas do you have? Um, 
I already had a group of students video uh, each other doing the course the way that it should be done. And then we shared that through, you know, our communication means our announcements and through their advisory classes. And so students got to see how it was supposed to be run. I don't think most kids realized, you know, how, how it was truly supposed to be run. So we've had student involvement there and they are working on putting together another group of kids that are going to propose to the student body running it as an obstacle course, say on Tuesdays and Thursdays, it gets to be an actual obstacle course. And then maybe on Monday, Wednesday, Friday, it can be, you can hang out on the individual obstacles. So I just love the student voice and leadership that's happening around this grant. It didn't just stop with Andrew. um, And that's what's exciting to me. And I think that's probably what's exciting for the Great Outdoors Colorado as well. I mean, these these organizations, what they're trying to do is trigger some sort of cascading change in communities through such projects. Um, and, you know, that, that's that's what's happening here. There's an ongoing, it's like an investment, and it's on, there's an ongoing, I'd call it like a slow burn, positive change happening in the school and kind of cascading into the community. That's what I'm hearing. Yes. As a leader of a, of a school building, for me to see that change in action really brings a solid belief to the work that we've been doing. You know, sometimes um, going back to, you know, the work around personalized learning and, and being willing to take that risk and where do you start and is it worth it? Uh, because you encounter things like resistance and implementation dips and all of those things. Um, but when you actually get to witness uh, students taking charge of their own learning and that cascade effect, if you will, is super powerful. And um, it reminds me to keep doing the work. Hmm. Yeah, that's inspiring, and and I'd say there's two axes to this this uh, grant here. First off, I'm I'm hearing about this grant. It's well designed, student led, learner led. Uh, there's data starting, kind of. There's a plan. There's a community involved, a funder. It's executed well, and now there's ongoing support. So there's this this project, but then there's there's the 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 stories as well. So. Uh, there's a number of stories that are happening. The young kid, you said he was a bit uh, silent or he was not like an outgoing kid, rose to the occasion. Then you're talking about all these kind of multimedia communication, the Google Forms, the videos, the stories going out in the community. So this is very important, I think, for being a hub in your community, having a large uh, pool of stories that are being generated daily and monthly in the school, inspiring stories of growth. And I I really think what it says is if we believe in our young people and give them a platform uh, for their voice and put tools in their hands, truly they can accomplish whatever it is they set their sights on. I fully agree. Are you thinking of doing more with grants or is it completely up to the student if more students propose to do similar stuff for their project-based learning, then that'll happen? Or or are you, do you have any other plans? I, I think really it's completely up to the students. Um, the, you know, the ultimate goal in, in our school is that students are taking ownership of their learning, of their behaviors, of their school, that this is their place. Um, and if, if they feel like uh, they want to add components to our outdoor space or our indoor space. I want it to be 
something that they've designed that is going to be meaningful and purposeful to them. They're the learners and we're here for them. And so I think it's really, it really needs to continue to be student driven. Um, one of the things that we, we couple with our project-based learning and our personalized learning is a, is a real focus on wellness and students being able to uh, learn about, you know, how to self-regulate and, and how my, my, my behaviors and my emotions, particularly as a middle school student, impact our community. And so I really think it's important to couple those things together, uh, particularly at middle school, because kiddos at this age are, are really learning about how, how do I impact my community. So to give them tools to understand both their emotions and their behavior and their ability to regulate those emotions, those behaviors, and their learning uh, will yield, I think, the greatest result. And I fully agree with that. And what I'm hearing also is you you sort of have a, a theme as a school, like a, a differentiating value proposition. You're talking about wellness a lot here. You're in Colorado. <laughs> There's a theme. It's like you have a brand, yeah. a school brand, which is kind of around wellness, and you're a lot kind of empowering the students to express that brand and to attract, you know, interest from the community, funds from funders, and kind of design the the school to in their own image in a way. That's great to hear. I think as as school leaders, it's a challenge to do that, uh, particularly here in Colorado. You know, it's it's choice based. Uh, most districts students can choose uh, to enroll in any school that they, that they want to, you know, um, within a particular district anyway. And so I think being able to, to create a, a brand or an image um, that resonates uh, with families uh, is important. And, and, and that can be different no matter, you know, no matter where you are, but developing it, creating it and ensuring that your students are talking about it that's when it's really taken hold, right? Absolutely, absolutely. L- last question on my side, just mindful of your time here, but I'll ask you to kind of give some parting thoughts after this. You mentioned you have to be the hub in your community or become the hub. I, I really believe in that, but can you elaborate a little bit what you mean? How do you, how do you embody that and what do you mean by that? What's the vision there? So, I, you know, school buildings are often vacant for, you know, the entire summer. And once upon a time, I think the old one room schoolhouse was the the hub of the community because it was absolutely crucial that our children engaged in, in that learning. Um, and the purpose of schools is so different now than it was, right? We're not producing students or human beings to work in factories. Uh, really, it's our job to develop young people so that they can think on their feet, that they can apply their learning, that they are problem solvers, that they're creative, that they're communicators. And that's probably a shift in the thinking of most adults. So to create a place where ultimately uh, adults and young people, uh, educators and parents can come together and be human beings together and support our young people in garnering those skills and mastering those, those super transferable skills and respecting that, hey, you know what, we all experienced our education differently. Um, to, to be together as community is, is what I really 
envision. And so creating spaces that that can happen, spaces like a community garden, spaces like an obstacle course, um, having parent empowerment nights, having our doors open, um, inviting parents in and uh, partnering, truly partnering with them so that we have a healthy community, a safe community for everyone to live and learn in. Impressive. Yeah, that's that's really a great kind of vision. And what I'm seeing is that when you when you're like aligning with the community in that way, you 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 know they invest in you as well. You invest in them. Uh, you try to be a hub for them. They invest in you. It's easier to get grants. I mean, it seems like you're allowing the students to do what they want at school, but you kind of feel a sense of abundance. I mean, you feel that uh, what they want to happen can happen. You find the connections, the partnerships, the community resources to do what the students are aspiring to do. That's great. Any, any parting thoughts, uh, Sonny, for school leaders who are you know, a bit struggling? They're listening to you talk about personalized learning. Maybe they haven't. There are a few years. They haven't started this journey. It seems like a huge gap. It seems like you know, students they don't take initiative like that. And, you know, I hear that a lot. I've seen it. I've seen classrooms where you know, students are just, you know, you might give them an inspiring story or, or tell them to design a project and they answer, you know, will that be on the test? Uh, or what's, what's the grade it's going to be if I do that? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there are some, some of the leaders are listening to you talk about this, this impressive vision. You have this story with, you know, Andrew getting this grant. What's your message to them? You know, I, I think we need to remind ourselves, well, I, I, I believe that, you know, wherever we put our thoughts, where we focus our thoughts is where our energy goes and therefore that is what will grow. So if we focus our, our thoughts and our time, um, on, the challenges or perhaps the negative aspects or the challenging behaviors, then, then that's what's going to grow. But if we focus our thoughts on the vision and believe in abundance, uh, that that's what's, that's what's going to grow. Um, and I would say, so remember where you're spending your time and where you're placing your thoughts um, because that's where your energy will land. And give yourself some grace. You know, Start small. Um, but do have a bias to action and, and more so than anything, believe in the kids, believe in the kids. Thanks, Sonny, for this very positive message. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for listening to School Growth Mastery, brought to you by Enroll Hunt. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe to our show and share this episode with your fellow educators. You can support us by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your preferred podcasting app. That way more school leaders like you will find us. If you want to learn more about school growth, visit our website at enrollhand.com and please do check out the links in the show notes of this episode. Until next time, goodbye for now.